Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of season two of Humbath Karenge with me, Aruj. And me, Tamur, who is the co-host of this uh, podcast show. <laughs> happy New Year! <laughs> yeah, happy 2021, even yeah. though it's only January 17th, it feels like it's been five years already, so... <laughs> it, like the way like the the way temporality means nothing nowadays is just phenomenal like it just it compresses and expands and uh, and uh. yeah like uh, what is time there is no such thing as time anymore and uh yeah it's 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 been it's been a wild year and it's only been 17 days so um mm. yeah if you want wouldn't mind introducing a rouge the what we're discussing in this episode yeah, sure. So I thought we thought it'd be really cool to just um, to basically have a review of 2021 thus far, because I think we can all agree that it's it's been a madness, it's been hectic, and a lot of things have gone on that we really need to just sit down and unpick. I agree completely. Uh, literally, there's just so much happened in 17 days. And, you know, you can't fault 2021 for what's existed and has been happening for centuries, like white supremacy. Mm. That's, yeah, that's it. Speaking of white supremacy, I mean, um, the storming of the Capitol in the US, I mean, wow, just wow. I mean, that, that's, that's I think like... very good. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. No, no, go. Um, no, I was just going to say. Very good subject to start on, really. Definitely, I think this is um, where Trump's power and Trumpism just generally has certainly come to the fore. Uh, okay, uh, I think I'll start with you. What was your like? How do you feel about it? What was your take on it? You know, having now had some distance from it, how do you feel about it now? Kind of thing. Yeah. Ah, okay. I can't believe um, it's been 11 days since that happened. Like it's that it's really weird, but it feels like it was yesterday, but then it feels like it's been going on for ages, if you know what I mean. So mm. just say like time has no meaning, but you know what? It's really interesting thinking about this, but we said this, didn't we? We raised this when Trump, um, you know, when we did the um, the podcast about, um, about the, the elections, the US elections, and we were like, this is not over. Trumpism, is still there. Trump may be gone. Trumpism is still there. I think like the fact that the um, the storming of the Capitol happened after one of his rallies, in which he basically riled everyone up and like you know pushed out the fact that the um, the elections had been stolen from him, and effectively just you know like demanded them to save America, to get the country back, etc. etc. It's just it's just. Trumpism through and through and I think that kind of rhetoric will remain I think that that kind of that political ideology is going to stay there for a very long time and I think the next version of Trump is going to be someone who is even more glib even more deeply 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 disturbingly racist and yeah and I, I just I mean where do we start with unpicking the scenes that happened at the capital like it's just yeah i kind of feel like i want to sort of like maybe we could think and look at the um kind of cultural artifacts that we're seeing in the um amongst the protesters say probably protesters amongst the white supremacists who took part yeah it's i mean when it, as it happened and while it was happening and the few days after i just felt so much anger because you know 
it's just in contrast to BLM and stuff like that. And there's just so much research around this. There were like 14,000 arrests at BLM protests, whereas here it was only 59. Mm. So it's just when you see white supremacy playing out, when you see white arrogance playing out in front of your eyes on like live TV and all over social media, mm-hmm. you just can't help but get feel such a strong sense of anger uh, in the way that they were treated compared to how Black Lives Matter or indigenous groups or people of color or any other like racialized communities are treated uh, when they protest. Mm. and honestly I was just sitting here like what the fuck is going on Mm. but you know like we both said in the previous episode this is not the end and Trump is not the start white supremacy has been there for a a very very long time and Trump is just a very he's a very poisonous uh, symptom of white supremacy but Mm -hmm. like you say and as, as you were saying I was feeling a sense of anxiety in that you know he opens the door for mm-hmm. that rhetoric so you know it's almost like boxing like you know how like mom like Muhammad Ali created like trash talking and yeah. after that everyone tried to replicate him and try to one-up him mm-hmm. and this is my fear that Trump is just the first I suppose mm-hmm. completely yeah, yeah I completely agree it's just it's, I actually another interesting thing I wanted to talk mm-hmm. to you about in regards to the protest was so the the use of the word word terrorist or terrorism. Did you see the post by Vigilante Love? I think you shared it on the um, Instagram on your Instagram story, didn't you? I did. Yeah. So um, I'll just do like a quick overview. So Vigilante Love were like they're like this is why you shouldn't use the word white terrorist, even you know even even though you want to kind of thing, because the more the more that we you know we call them white terrorists and stuff like that, mm. it only inadvertently and directly impacts black and brown communities because it means yeah. that the anti-terrorist or, uh, landscape or apparatus grows. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it was a very, very good post and I'll reshare it after, the, after this podcast, but it was a very, very good and a very thought out argument because you know, when it first happened, I was just like, why are these people not being called terrorists and whatnot? Mm-hmm. And yeah that post just made me think like okay cool so you know endorsing that narrative just means that the anti-terrorist apparatus or apparatus grows which means that people like us continue to get even more targeted Mm. Uh, yeah so it was really interesting Mm, okay yeah yeah did you see Um, the girl with the (laughs) what was that did you see the girl with the onion what's that there was a girl, right, uh, a woman, and she on video, and she's like crying, and she's like, you know, and I went inside, and they amazed me, and I was trying to cause revolution, and initially the reaction was like, Karen doesn't know what revolution in, in like entails, but if you look at the if you look at the video again, she actually has an onion in her hands, so she used that onion and probably rubbed it on on the rise, so she was fake losing. Yes, yes, wow. y- like, yes, like I'll I'll. I mean, I'll share that. With share you. that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what. So it was, it was initially people were like laughing, saying Karen doesn't know what revolution means because she's like crying and she's like, they maced me, they hurt me and whatnot. But then <sighs> if you rewatch the video, she has an onion in her hand. So before recording that, she oh. probably just rubbed it on her eyes and she, you know, make it seem like they were being harsh on her. Yeah, yeah. So Karen yeah. like clearly oh, does God. know. Karen, Karen knows. Karen's a little bit more, you know, dangerously. Yeah. <laughs> dangerously anticipated. Wow. 
Karen knows Karen. how to play the white, fragile white woman. That's really, Completely. I think that can, that can be a piece in itself. And I yes. think that's a very good area to explore because she knows, she knows how to appeal to other white people. Mm. That's it. Do you know what? The, the role of white women um, within kind of the white supremacy movement is just phenomenal because we must never forget that the white woman um, in the white world is viewed as so pure and so fragile that mm. their kind of tears, they, it elicits such a response by their male counterpart that it is quite literally deadly. Exactly. Like, you Karen know, fully um, knows. Karen knows. And you know, like, I'm just reading a book about Fred Hampton from the Black Panther Party and they were discussing mm. Emmett Till. Like what, white mm. women have been listed in white supremacy for hundreds of years. Yeah. So I, I really hope someone does a think piece on how she was able to manipulate that view of white women in a way that, so that she could engage other white people because you know, yeah. and like racialized communities like an, to an extent, like they're like, oh my God, like poor women, this and this happened to her. but. She just put some onion in her fucking eyes and she thought she would get away with it on video as well. Oh no, oh my, wow. wow. <laughs> I'll send you the, it's wow. such a, it's, it, oh, it's, it, it leaves me speechless. Um, oh wow. Which, which, oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Hey, um, it just makes me think of, um, is it Rise of the Nations? That, um, that nationalistic American propaganda where like the whole, like the whole kind of concept of you know, a white confederate state was created around this particular, well not created, but, the, but this film kind of depicted the, the need for like a white nation state of America because of the threat of, um, of the black man against the white woman, in which like there was a, it's, there was a, in the storyline there's, you know, a, a white woman who's about, about to get raped and she, she throws herself off a cliff and stuff and it's, it's really just like, yeah, it's like this kind of self-sacrificing white woman that just needs to be saved and preserved and like any kind of proximity to, to, um, to people of colour and particularly male, men, um, men of colour is just, it's, it's almost the narrative like looks at it as you know, something deadly and it just kind of pro pro it propagates the whole kind of narrative. It basic, sorry. Rewind, Aruj, cover yourself. Um, it just basically like, it, I find that white women, the narratives around white women are used a lot to kind of prop up um, narratives of nationhood, is basically what I was trying mm. to say. And it's really reflected mm. in that film, creation of um, of a nation, or I'm gonna have to Google it. I'm gonna have to Google it and put in the, um, I might share it on my, my stories. Yeah, if you send it through, I will cite it and share it. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's and it's really interesting, you know, like just talking about the role of women and the America as a nation state. So like, you know, when we look at, so take, for example, the Afghan war or, or the Iraq war, a mm. lot of it was built around, you know, liberating mm. uh, women for, from those countries. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting how, you know, America is able to manipulate its perception and its view or is able to position women in what it mm. wants to achieve. Because if they truly, really cared about women's rights in Afghanistan and Iraq, surely they would have better rights for women in America. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, it was the Capitol Hill thing. And, you know, did you see that they're still sending threats saying that uh, they might uh, uh, assault Biden's inauguration? Oh, really? Oh, that's... 
Well, you know what? I, I, I want to kind of laugh it off, but I can totally imagine it happening. Like, and they, even though they've, um, they've like obviously banned Trump from his Twitter and um, Facebook as well. Like, I just, it's just, it won't, that he's kind of, he's planted the seed and he's kind of stoked the fire and it, it will happen, if you know what I mean, because this is um, Trumpism has kind of been fed into this new wave of, um, of, uh, you know, kind of conservative right wing um, politicians within America and they're, they're going to kind of carry on the work. So was it Rudy Giuliani at that rally that was that took place before the Capitol Hill protests? Um, he he was really kind of stoking the fire. And there's going to be several other politicians who are really close with Trump who was to us who are still going to be around in Congress, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And he will still he still have considerable platforms who will still be able to kind of stoke those to stoke those sentiments and also not to yeah. the fact that there will probably be another another Trump or someone with um, Trumpist Trumpists or tr Trumpism in their views etc um, may very well get voted in um, but yeah no I can imagine totally imagine that happening again and um, I just the fact that it was just so bad like just there was no policing the fact that it was um, it was quite clearly really, really, really fucking dangerous. I mean, they fucking erected like a, a hangman's noose. They erected a hangman's noose. Mm. They were waving the Confederate flag. They were wearing like Auschwitz concentration camp shirts. These are, these are dangerous white supremacists who want to kill people. And they have quite clearly demonstrated that by the kind of cultural artifacts that were present within the, the protests. And um, but the fact that the police kind of initially did not take that as seriously is just I mean what can we expect to be fair but it's just it just you see it and you're like oh, the rage the frustration it's, it's just phenomenal it's like the spider-man meme where you know two spider-mans are pointing at each other and it was like the police and white supremacists just point like pointing at each other like hey you that when they're the same yeah. people completely um, and there's, I was going to yeah. say that statistic I think um, we were talking about it before weren't we that statistic about uh, about 80% of the police voted Trump in America. About 80% of police officers have voted Trump. There's like, this um, statistic. I'm going to have to source it to make sure I'm not spreading fake news. Mm. But um, yeah, and I mean, if that statistic is correct, then I mean, how, what can we expect? Yeah, uh, it's like you say, you know, like they had like pieces there and Confederate flags and people wearing like Camp Auschwitz hoodies. And it's just like, how can you not take people who are supremacists like that seriously? Mm. And yeah, it's just, you know, and it, 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 you wouldn't, I think, you know, typically people would be like, yeah, like, you know, it's white supremacists and the police should have taken them more seriously. But in the context that the Black Lives Matter over the summer mm. shows you such a fresh contrast to how these people are treated in comparison to Black Lives Matter just is literally like like you know like a punch to the stomach because it's like it just shows you how aligned the institution of policing in america is to white supremacists yeah completely yeah it's uh it, it really does like boil my blood just to see all that um yeah captain hill what would your two to do, 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 do this. Um, 
do you know what i thought of people was was uh would be we told you so because <laughs> we literally did you're like yeah it's all gonna in fact i actually think you said um i bet you know you're one of the questions that we had in the podcast um for the the election special was what do we think will there be protests about it and then we're like we do yeah, yeah. Do, you remember? <laughs> do you remember we told you so <laughs> yeah Oh wow! I I think what I might do is I might actually cite that at the start of this podcast in, in terms of edit it in just to say that you know like racialized communities have been telling you this for centuries mm-hmm. that you chose to ignore all these supremacists because you are a supremacist. If you choose to ignore supremacists, it's because you are one. Let's just yeah. be real. Yeah, completely. You know, I saw um I need to watch the full video, but I saw like a little bit of the video of um. That Alexandra Ocasio Cortez did about white supremacy, and she basically said white supre- white supremacists are fighting for an ideology that will just never happen. They like it will never happen. You will never whiteness will never dominate. You 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 will never live in a, a white nation. Like there will no there will never be like anything like that. We say it will never be, but we you know it's. These are these are very very extreme ideologies. So she she was basically saying like in the real world how how would this happen? It's really unlikely. But yeah, I have a little look. I need to watch it properly. But I just thought yeah, do you know what it is? And the ideology of all ideologies because it's just like how I don't know. But yeah, but we say that. But history does have a tendency to repeat itself. But hopefully, hopefully not. But yeah, it's a, it seemed like a really interesting game video that I need to finish off watching. Yeah. Uh, I think what I'll do is for season two, I'll be all, we'll be like all professional and stuff. So hey. <laughs> when we launch the podcast episode, we'll like share the cited things. So it'll be like, hey, like this is what AOC said, and this is the stat that we mentioned, etc. Yeah. Um, What's your yeah. door repeat? What's your door repeat on it? Do you reckon? Mine is. So unfortunately, like, you know, like how 10 years ago or 11 years ago, how Cameron and the Tories came into power and you would have thought that Cameron being, you know, leaving the office would just be the end of it. But the thing with like right wing parties is that it's like a snake's uh, tail. It's like, you know, if you cut one off, which is actually really not a nice thing to say. It's basically like if you remove one, another one grows. Yeah. And what yeah. tends to grow is, is a more extreme version of the one before. Um, so like you said, and I agree that this isn't the end of it. White supremacy has been around for centuries. And now uh, we're seeing its most like volatile, poisonous form come to mainstream dialogue, I suppose. Mm. Uh, and, you know, just that the fight continues. Um, yeah. It's like yeah. the Hydra, isn't it? That was it. The Hydra. We cut the head off the Hydra. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. So we've got to try and see if we could simultaneously or figure out how did Hercules kill the Hydra? <laughs> Draw some inspiration from mythology. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which uh, takes us on to like our second uh, subject of this episode, which is COVID. COVID. <laughs> mark at the end uh, <laughs> because it's like one more COVID end what is COVID like this is yeah yeah uh, yeah COVID <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, do you know what? There is such little difference between like tier four and tier five that it just and tier six and tier, tier seven. seven. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's it's to the point where it's just we just don't really know what's happening and what's going on. But the one thing that I would I would just kind of raise again because I don't think it's coming to the fore as much as what it did in the first wave of coronavirus is the impact on people of colour. Mm. Um, and just also the fact that with regards to, I think it's just really important as well to think about the medicine and, and the kind of the medical sector um, and in relation to how they treat people of colour, particularly black women and the way that they, they have systematically and it's proven statistically deny um, the rights the, the rights of um, black women's ownership over their body because we know that um, black women are five times more likely to die during childbirth and that kind of denial of uh, black women's pain etc I yeah I, I think it's um, I think it will be yeah really horrific in terms of um, if we were to sit and fully unpick the impact of um, of institutional racism within the medical sector propagated by the pandemic um, and how it's affecting people of colour, particularly black women. Yeah, I would love to see some like, you know, stats around that. And I wonder if there is research being done, there most likely is. Mm. So it'd be interesting to explore that in like, you know, from a research lens uh, in the like future episodes, but I, I agree completely. Uh, you know, it's still early days, but when, you know, say in a year's time when hopefully COVID is uh, uh, like the majority of the population is vaccinated mm. and there has been research done on the ground as to how healthcare professionals are treating racialized communities, especially like black women, etc. It'll be interesting to hear about their experiences mm. uh, based on how COVID was handled in relation to their experiences. Okay, because, okay. You know, like we've said before, racialized communities are much more likely to die from COVID. Mm -hmm. And that's been the theme from the get-go when the first nine GPs that died from COVID were people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, like, you know, for COVID and me, you know, it's coming up to a year in like a few weeks time or in a month's time. Uh, yeah, and it's been one of the strangest, it. wildest times. You know, it's one of those things that comes every once in once in three generations, I suppose, for people living in the West. In Pakistan, this is like instability is just your, <laughs> your way of living. Um, mm. But how do you see the rest of the year panning out in terms of COVID, specific to the UK, I suppose? Um, I know I was reading like there was a SAGE report, so you know, the, the SAGE group, the science, science group, scientific advisory group um, for the government, they were saying about they did like a report into vaccine hesitancy. So they found that um, that amongst like minority ethnic groups, people are far more, far less likely to take the coronavirus vaccine. In um, that's and they kind of attributed it to like lack of like low confidence, which in turn I think is very much just endemic of I think it's endemic of this whole kind of um, epoch of British society in that we just generally have such little confidence in our in our government and in Boris Johnson given like the kind of mad fluctuations in what we should be doing the various tiers that we should be adhering to whether or not we are in lockdown and also also the Cummings effect as well how people in positions of power 
or people who have the kind of you know the the financial capacity to not be affected by this have just kind of flouted the rules but mm. um so i find i find that really interesting because that that kind of the way the government has been so kind of haphazard in their control of the uh, of the pandemic has obviously deteriorated any kind of confidence that people have in the government, especially amongst um, ethnic minorities and people kind of who kind of live on the fringes and on the margins. And in turn, that can kill because there are people are thus quite rightly less likely to trust this vaccine or you know want to take it. But um, so yeah, so I'm quite interested to keep an eye out with regards to how things develop with regards to the vaccine and just generally about how this all affects um, BAME groups more. I reckon it will be, I, I reckon that, um, I know it's been very quiet on the, on this front because like, you know, a year ago or in last May, it was it was everywhere kind of thing. They had the, the Ibele initiative, you had um, like inquiry or calls for an independent inquiry into the, um, into the link between um, BAME deaths and coronavirus and stuff and these same issues will still be there because we know that with regards to the inquiry a key a key thing that was noted but wasn't written in the report was the fact that this there is a lot of institutional racism which results in people being more susceptible to catching the virus and thus you know mm. BAME communities particularly black communities being more vulnerable etc um, but that obviously wasn't written in the report and so if it if it wasn't taken seriously enough to be written in the report, then you know damn well that it's probably not going to be actioned, probably definitely not going to be actioned, if you know what I mean. So yeah. um, I think it will be a lot of kind of, for me, the next year will be a lot of kind of ear to the ground in order to figure out what the the impact, the unreported impact is on our community. And it'd be cool I to agree. like, yeah, to kind of keep, to keep yeah, the on this. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, like, like service sectors, uh, like parts of NHS and especially the government continue to fill racialized communities. So it'll be very much that, that, you know, people like us or people, you know, voluntary groups, etc., or organizations like Spark & Co, which is a wonderful uh, organization that looks at the impact of COVID on racialized communities. Mm. Well, step up and be able to meet the communities where support is needed um, and you know like you say like the, the consistent failures of ser the service sector and the government means that it does create this also like you know on a historic level how especially in terms of black communities how they've been tested on uh, in terms of psychiatry inhumane treatment mm. so there is a lot of like there's a lot to unpack but a lot of like wariness around the vaccine comes from a place of mistrust that is built over history yeah yes you do have like anti-vaxxers you know like people who will just say like nonsense but when it comes to racialized communities it, it's not that it comes from a place of ignorance it does come from a place of history yeah and you know it'll just be important to initiate dialogue around the vaccine and the treatment and because you know systemic racism on institution level will be there in terms of how this vaccine is distributed how people are treated in terms of their covid uh mm. recovery especially long-term covid symptoms because mm. that's still the area of like the unknown because and it's sort of relative to each person as well completely 
Yeah. So yeah, it will be very much like on the ground, listening and seeing how things are and mm. how can we support, etc. Um, I guess we answered our door rupees without asking each other. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that. I was like, did we? It sounds like we did ask. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah. interesting. I feel like. Um, sorry, go on, go on. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like um, I'm. I'm going to go away and like figure out like what what we can what kind of key information sources can be monitored with regards to that um with regards to the impact of um coronavirus on BAME communities what initiatives are out there etc etc so i think i think we've we've got our work cut out in terms of creating a resource list for this podcast but i I agree um i would definitely um check out spark and corridor because they house all the relevant organizations groups information resources around um the impact of covid on racialized communities Ah. at the like tag them and stuff like that because i think yeah they're doing a a really important incredible work oh mate spark and co was it spark and co yeah actually experience will be working with them next month for the next so yeah oh cool 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 um yeah uh and i think we have time for one more subject um what did you want to talk about should we talk about something like lighthearted do you want yeah it's up to you something lighthearted like bridgerton or something (laughs) bridgerton oh gosh but you know what we're like though tay because we'll sit and we'll like sit and dissect and be like no 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 this is all wrong (laughs) yeah yeah we'll we'll take the fun out of it (laughs) completely (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll just we'll just like i wouldn't say take the fun out out of it we'll we'll just start dissecting it which will be like which will take away the lightness of the subject um yeah uh, i don't know what something like nice like what do you how do you if you were to imagine a good thing happening to you this year what would you like it to be oh that's a cool one that's a nice positive question a good thing to happen this year i think I really, really, really want to take just a big chunk out of my PhD in terms of progress, progressing with it. So, um, do you know what? I'm just I'm going to say it out loud because you know we just need to normalise it. But last year I took a leave of absence, so I, that meant that I I stopped um, going to university or being a part of my university. Basically, paused my studies for that year because financially it was quite difficult um, for my family, and um, my money would basically need to go to better causes in terms of um, yeah in terms of looking after people and um so i put myself on a leave of absence and um, i'm back at uni but it's meant that in terms of my progress with my course and my research i'm probably about a year behind so this year i just want to kind of sit and really progress it but i've kind of Mm. i think i really needed that that period of i guess it was a semi-break because i I was still reading around my topic etc um but it was quite nice to step away and then to go back and to go back with with some heart because I think I've lost a lot of love for my research because it just takes a lot out of you but I've mm. come back to it and it's just it's really interesting so um yeah I'm hoping to sit and make a huge dent out of um take a huge dent out of my PhD and also do you know what I just want to like I just want to learn something new you know like I just feel mm. like le- like taking up a hobby I don't know yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out a hobby watch watch this space I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out what I want to do and then I'm gonna Put, put some um, put some wheels in motions with regards to that. Probably something artistic, 
I won't, I won't probably not singing or anything like that because I'm just I'm bad. I'm trying to <laughs> nobody wants to see that or hear that. But what about you? What are you um what goals have you got for this year? What would you like to achieve? Well, I, I you know, like I, I, I'd like I've I've been quite public about this. So my plan was to become a yoga teacher mm. um, for quite some time, and next month I start my yoga teacher training, which is like a two hundred hour course. Amazing. Um, so my aim is to become a qualified foundation yoga teacher, so then I can do yoga classes uh, for working class communities. Um, so I'll do stuff like yoga and reflect. Mm. So you could, like you know over Zoom we can do like. Uh, yoga for like stress relief or like you know reflective yoga poses and then last 10 minutes we can just like reflect on how our week has been how we're feeling so that for me is like a it's like a big thing um, yeah yeah i'm like i mean now it's just getting through the yoga course and you know becoming qualified i guess another thing is just making sure uh pushing to make expert by experience like you know uh legit <laughs> but by legit i mean i don't mean like i'm doing anything dirty but uh, turning it into like a cic and then you know being able to get some like be able to do like work that pays for eb so i can continue to grow ebe so that uh, one day uh, mm. rather than just talking on the podcast with me you're actually getting paid to do this so that's my aim yeah this is amazing oh how did you get into yoga i've actually never asked you um i've been doing yoga for three years actually oh, okay. um, cool, cool. but um uh, uh, during lockdown because you know lockdown has had such a strong impact on everyone's mental well mental well-being yeah uh, i've just been doing yoga twice a day so in the morning in the evening and it's just it just helped me so much like i can't yeah. even begin to say that's probably why i sound more calmer on this podcast and in comparison to previous podcasts i just not you know not that i feel like quote unquote zen all the time but I, I i think i'm just like more mindful which yeah. in turn makes me more peaceful i suppose yeah no, that's awesome that's so cool um so how was your podcast uh, uh, the other day so you've got a cross-reference another podcast which i still need to yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing i think lots of podcasts this year guest appearing um but it was really good with the Rides Collective and the Funny Tinge podcast, I was on two podcasts, which was really good. Um, which was, it was nice to just talk to people. Uh, but I think I want to do like a step down, step up scheme now. I mean, okay. working. so like, this is something that the Rides Collective told me about. So like step up, step down is like, you just being mindful that when you're taking up too much space on the stage, just being mm -hmm. mindful to step down so someone else can have a, a go. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just being mindful <laughs> around that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, no, that's really cool. I'm gonna like um, just uh, I'm gonna make a bit of time tonight because um, like I'm gonna listen to your podcast and I listen to a couple of other other podcasts. Um, I feel like recently just because I've been so busy with work and studying and stuff, I don't think I've been like um, kind of listening and sort of you know listening and kind of taking um, taking in like all the amazing work that my friends and acquaintances do so tonight i'm just gonna sit and make time for yeah i'm gonna listen to that i'm gonna listen to that and you're gonna get loads of texts and be like feedback all constructive i promise yeah. <laughs> <laughs> constructive feedback but yeah and I, I appreciate you taking the time out to listen um the rights collective one is like a solid hour one which is really good um, oh, nice. well good because i was on it um 
But yeah, I'm really glad that we were able to sit down and do the first episode of 2021. Um, I can't believe it, man. Do this every two weeks. And yeah. uh, I think we just, I don't know about you, but I feel like we just now have a working rhythm that just works for us. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's quite nice that like we've kind of, um, so guys, everyone, we, 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 when we first did season one, we were like, I say we, um, I think I was a little bit militant with, we're going to do this topic and this topic and this topic. But um, I think we've, um, like, we think um, we've kind of learned that with the second season, it's, it's better if we just do topics as they come. There's quite a lot of topics that just happen organically. So it's probably not good to sort of stick to a particular script and just kind of have a bit more of a free flow. Then you can kind of yeah, take it like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. And, and, you know, like that, it was amazing amount of research that you would do to bring to the subject. So you were doing such like due diligence. But like, as we've seen in, lo- in the last 11 days, things like yeah. things changed so much in the space of a week. So we could like, <laughs> if we stuck to our original plan, we'd be discussing something that's like gone out of the news mm. three weeks ago. But um, yeah, no, I'm really, I am glad uh, that we uh, have restarted and I appreciate that we'll be doing this for a very long time. Yeah, hopefully, inshallah, inshallah. Super excited. Yeah, so thank you for joining us. Arud, you can say the goodbyes because you're the host and oh, yeah. gosh. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. That was episode one of season two of Hambad Karenge. I have been Aruj. And I'm Tamu. And we'll see you on episode two. Bye. See you then. Bye.